Uh, we're in the middle of a series it's called Back to School, discovering the fullness of the teachings of Jesus Christ. We love his action. We love his power. We love his miracles. But Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we call the Sermon on the Mount. He really gets a dig in there. So you could break it into three sermons, and the first one is chapter 5, and it's taken about a month or so to get through it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to wrap that one up today. But this message that Jesus gives is for those who are believers. So if you're in here this morning and you do not have faith in God or you do not know who Jesus Christ is, you have to understand when Jesus taught this, it wasn't for you. It's for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. But this morning, I hope you hear it. This, this message that Jesus gives, he sits there and he's with these religious leaders and he said, you know, here's how man has established the standards for God's goodness. Here is the real standards for God's goodness. And he sort of shows out, you've heard it said, here's what I say as he's going through this scripture. And there's three sections this morning we're going to try to get through as well. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 33. And you can follow along. Jesus said, you have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Don't say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And don't say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of a great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't even turn one hair white or black. Just a, say a simple, yes, I will. No, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. As we begin here and try to read and understand this passage, I think one of the most blatant things Jesus is getting at in this passage that we walk away from is this. He simply wants us to tell the truth. Just, just tell the truth. This whole world that we live in right now, there's a difficulty in finding the truth and there's a difficulty in telling truth. And we live in a time, and I'm, I'm and I, I was going to apologize this, but I have nothing to do with it. So uh, over the next month, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be endure political ads on, on radio and everywhere and TV. Um, and why do I say you have to endure it? Because you're going to have one opponent, another opponent, and they're just going to say things about each other that are, who, who's true? Who's telling the truth? You know, somebody's not telling the truth here. And that's one little thing that we have to deal with in a world that is, that is longing for truth telling. We don't have it. And here's what happens when we, when we lack telling truth. It strains relationships because we become skeptical of that person. We don't know if we can trust them or not. And so there's a breakdown in the relationship, which eventually leads to criticism and isolation, which is really not good for the church. Jesus is just addressing the simplicity of just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And when it comes to oaths, He's not saying, well, we can't do any oaths because in the Old Testament, God made some oaths. Jesus was in court and made an oath. The apostles, we read about them talking about making oaths. So in Scripture, there were oaths that were made, but Jesus is pointing out, you know what? There's an abuse of taking oaths that I'm hearing going on right now. People would say, well, I swear by the name of the Lord. It's like, well, you can't take the Lord's name in vain. So don't say, I swear by the Lord. So uh, they would say, well, I swear by heaven. I swear by the earth. I swear by the hairs on my head. And Jesus like, don't, he's saying, like, don't even do that. He addressed this in another passage later on with the same religious leaders. Matthew chapter 23. He said this, starting in verse 16. Blind guides, which he loved calling these Pharisees out, 
What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it's binding to swear by the gold of the temple. Blind fools. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. Jesus is just reminding us that God is a part of everything. If you swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or, or your head, you're swearing by God. For God made heaven, God made the earth, God made Jerusalem, God made your head. So the act of swearing by the temple or the gold in the temple or by grandma's grave, whatever sounds good to you, he's saying don't do it. But that's what they were doing because it sounds so much nicer. Hey, I swear by my grandma's grave. It's like, why do you do that? Why do you say that? Because I just want to let you know I really mean it. That was going on, on and on and on and on. So much it became frivolous. It became uh, worthless because they really didn't mean it. It sounded all right but it's sort of an excuse. As a result, their oaths lost meaning. Jesus, just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. But we have a hard time with that. Sometimes we're like, remember we'd cross your fingers and say something? It's like, I have my fingers crossed so it didn't count, right? That's called lying, okay? Or do we often do this? It's called, um, hey, to tell the truth, what I want to tell you about this next thing, it's like, so what have you been saying previously? Was it all lies? We have, we, have we done that? I've done that. It's like, well, hey, to be honest with you, wait, so you weren't honest with me before? We say those kind of things all the time, and we got to be careful. With it. Our word should be good enough. Just let your yes be yes, your no be no. We don't need to make an oath. We don't need to swear on anything. Just simply tell the truth. That's the first thing Jesus gets at, right? He sort of gets at the heart of it, though. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, the fruit is good. If a tree is bad, the fruit's going to be bad. Oh, you brood of snakes. He goes in. Here goes the religious leaders again. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So again, Jesus is like, you know the problem with telling the truth is that there's a problem in the heart. Let's deal with the heart. Let's clean up the heart. You clean up the heart, what comes out of the heart will be better. Next part of the scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus goes on to say, You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Verse 40, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now this section here is going to sort of deal with our selfishness. First we talked about honesty. Let's talk about selfishness. Because we live in a time of what? Self-entitlement? I, my rights? It's, it's, what matters is my rights. And I'm entitled to this and I'm entitled to that. 
And we demand it, right? So when you look at this scripture, we demand that our rights be made known. And Jesus is saying, it's not about your rights. So he moves into this other heart issue using four illustrations. The first illustration he uses is the right of retaliation. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, part of the Mosaic law, sounds all good. But what happened when that law was made, it was done like maybe in a court or in a a governing body. So if something bad was done to somebody, the governing body decided that that retaliation would be done accordingly. The problem is this retaliation got moved into the sphere of personal relationships. Now, if you do something to me, I can do something to you, aside of what maybe the governing authorities say. This is where the problem was. This is where it started, but it sort of evolved to come in this direction. Now, I know it's a difficult statement, but... There's, there's many of us in this room, and I was trying to think of this. I was trying to think, okay, um, I need an example that um, sort of like I deserve something, but I didn't get it. So I'm going to oh, I'm gonna even the score with that person. I'm going to get even with them. And I was trying to think of all these examples. And here's the problem. My examples are about this thick, okay? So it's like there's too many examples of where in our lives we look at somebody and we just want to get even with them. We want to settle the score, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 13, verse 17 said this, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them some to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Oh, that seems, what, so hard? Impossible? Yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? But here's the thing we need to remember. As a Christian, who lives in you? Christ lives in you, right? His spirit dwells in you. What is impossible for man is possible for God. And if he dwells within you, he can do some of these things through you as well, even though it seems impossible. Jesus had the opportunity, if he wanted to, to retaliate, to even a score, to fight back. But he didn't. In 1 Peter, Peter wrote this, Jesus never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. His spirit, that spirit right there, resides in us. So what seems impossible is actually possible. It's just hard. Because when a person insults us, we want to give them back what we think they deserve. Plus maybe a little bit more, right? He uses another example here for retaliation about slapping somebody in the right cheek. Mike Fogarty, could you come up here? I want to demonstrate. And not officially demonstrate because he is bigger than me. So unless he retaliates. Oh, Let's see if you turn the cheek. Okay. So when you read this scripture here about turning the other cheek, it says, when somebody slaps you on the right side of the face, point to the right side of the face so everybody knows, 
Oh, done. I just want to make sure the target is there. Okay. So if I'm going to slap him on the right side of the face, I got two ways I can do it. First is a backhand. If you backhand somebody, that's an insult. That's very insulting to backhand somebody. The second thing then, the only other way then, is my left hand, right? So this is how I'd slap you. However, in biblical times, understand this, that was an insult as well. Left-handed, was, this was your, your bathroom hand. You know what I'm saying? Okay? So it's your dirty hand. That's why when people greet, they shake with their right hand, not their left hand. Because of these kind of things way back when, right? Okay, we've learned what soap is now, so we're able to take care of ourselves. But th- so when Jesus was back and talking to this, his, his culture... The people understood, oh, yeah, you got slapped with the left hand. You got slapped with that hand. That's an insult, right? Thank you, Mike. You can have a seat. So in this scripture here, when you're reading this, what Jesus is saying is this isn't about a physical attack. This is about somebody insulting you. And when somebody insults you, turn the other cheek. Jesus would never sit here and say, hey, if you get physically beaten, oh, Turn the other cheek. Keep getting beaten. That's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. Somebody hits you with a bat on the left side of the head, you're like, oh, here's my right side of my head. Hit me with the bat. No. Jesus never condoned that kind of violence. Jesus wasn't saying that, he wasn't also saying that evil should never be opposed. He demonstrated in his life that when bad things took place, righteous anger rose up like in the temple and said, this is not to be allowed. Jesus wasn't saying that there's no place for punishment or retribution in society either. Either Here he speaks to personal relationships. Here he's speaking about insult. If there was an actual abuse, a physical abuse, governing body, police, whoever it may be, should take that, take care of it, and handle it, and so forth. What Jesus is getting at here is this personal insult. Somebody personally insults you, turn the other cheek. That's hard, right? Because I feel entitled like I should be able to get them back. Next illustration Jesus uses is about clinging to our rights, our possessions. He says, if anybody wants to sue you and take away your shirt or tunic, he says, give them your coat as well. Now, for some of us, again, what does that mean? Go back to the culture. Everybody had like an undershirt, okay? Multiple ones, most likely. And then they had one outer coat, just one. If you were to lose your outer coat, you lost your means of one not only being dressed, but warmth and comfort, taken off, using it as a pillow night if needed. I mean, it was, it was your everything. And everybody had one coat. So it was special. So Jesus is saying, you know what? If somebody wants to take your shirt, give them your shirt. Give them your coat too. So, <laughs> but that's mine. It's my possession. And I think what Jesus wants to understand is all things belong to God. We're just stewards of it. And sometimes we cling to things so tight that we're like, no, I'm not going to. When you do that, you are showing love. You're trusting God. And it's going to stun the other person. They're going to be like, yeah, I got you. I got your shirt. You have my coat too. Oh, You know, you just, you rob them of, you rob them of the insult. Because they were all fired up to, to hurt you. And you're like, have this too. And you're like, I'm trying to be mean to you. And you just got nice and lovey to me, right? We come to this third thing, a third illustration. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go two. 
Again, under this time in, in, in history, Roman soldiers, they, if they wanted to, you're along, standing alongside the road and they're marching by and they've got this big backpack and you know, maybe they want to throw some extra rocks in there. They can take it off according to the law, take it off, hand it to you and require you to walk a mile with it. Not one mile in one step, just one mile. To go beyond that, they couldn't do that. They had no authority. So you could walk a mile and take it off and like, <laughs> we got them. So here's what has Jesus saying. They, they're telling you to walk a mile, put it on, walk a mile and walk another one. Go beyond what they're expecting. Because again, they're sitting there saying, I made you do something. And you're saying, you asked me to do something. Not only did I do it, I'm doing more for you. Oh, that just burns. Because they thought they could manipulate you. And what did you do? You showed them an act of love. You just sort of tinkered with their manipulating, angry, thriving plans, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. Go beyond what is required. Final illustration. He says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now here's the, oh, that's a tough one because we work hard for our money. You get that paycheck and you already see somebody took a little bit out of it anyway and you're like a little frustrated, right? And now it's like, and now I'm supposed to give more to other people who are in need? Key word, key phrase, in need. We hold tightly and we grip onto a lot of things, but we have to be very discerning at times too. And I believe this is very scriptural in the fact that there's a lot of false beggars. There's a lot of schemers. There's a lot of con artists out there. There's people who want to rob you of things. And I don't believe God wants you to just purposely give yourself or your money to people who are trying to do evil from you. You have to be discerning. God, are these people really in need? If they are, what is he telling you to do? Give to them. So in these four illustrations, Jesus is basically tugging at an area in our life called selfishness. Because if I got to walk another mile with you, that means I got to take more time out of my busy schedule. You come in asking me to do something for you, I'll do that for you, and I'm also going to do a little bit more for you. But that took some of my time. So I'm going to be a little bit selfless and give you some of my time. I may give you some of my money because I see you are in need. I know you just insulted me, but I'm not going to retaliate. I, I might be entitled to all these, all these things. And Jesus is saying, this requires you to be selfless. And at the heart of humanity, we can be pretty selfish. Jesus is, is standing with these disciples. And basically he's saying, these relig- religious leaders over here, they're saying, these things make you right with God but they've misinterpreted a lot of these things. It's actually more challenging to do all these things. And what I'm sharing is even more challenging to do. Think about what he has said so far from the beginning of chapter five. We're not to slander others. We're not to hate others. We're not to be uh, uh, in our relationships um, sexually immoral. We're supposed to be free from sexual sins. We're supposed to have these proper marriages. We're supposed to tell the truth. We're not to retaliate or seek revenge. We're supposed to be free from clinging to our, our rights and our money and our time and our possessions. It's like, oh, come on. I mean, can anybody live up to these standards, Jesus? I mean, the religious leaders had standards, but now you've sort of upped the ante. Now, like, these are more stringent than the, the other ones. It's like, I don't know if I can do this. Well, here's the thing. Ever since the day of Adam and Eve, they went to the tree of knowledge. They thought they knew it all. We still do today. We still think we know better. We can determine what's good and what's, what's evil. And, but who created the world? 
Who's the author of all things? Who's the creator of all things? Should not he be the one who decides what is good and what is bad? What is right and what is wrong? And here's the thing, instead of trying to be right, I gotta do the right thing, I do the right thing. Jesus is saying, I want you to be righteous. I want you to be right with me. Verse 43. You've heard the laws that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, I can, can just maybe there's a, there's like be a collective groan amongst all those that have been listening. Because like, man, this, this is getting challenging, Jesus. And now you're starting out the phrase, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Oh no, what's he going to say? Here it comes. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. But if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt, corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind to only your friends, how are you different than anybody else? Even the pagans do that. You want to know the difference between a, somebody who follows Jesus and somebody who doesn't follow Jesus? It's how they treat people. Even then, sometimes Christians aren't very good with treating people. But here's how we find, figure out the difference. You love your enemies. Anybody can love the lovable. But to love your enemies? Ooh. Hey, I'll tell you what. I can pray for them. You guys in on that? Right now, I think we can all pray for our enemies. Sometimes we pray retaliation on our enemies, right? But we can all pray for our enemies. But to love our enemies? I understand that loving those people who aren't so nice to you, that's hard. But to love our enemy is what sets us apart. When I read this, um, and I've studied this, and over the years I've, I've, I've struggled with this, and then learned a little bit more, here's, here's where I'm landing on this today, okay? I've got room to grow, okay? So I might discover more, and you might help me on this, but I want to begin with this. When it comes to loving your enemies, we've got to understand what kind of love we're talking about. It's a divine love, agape love. It's not eros or phileo or all these other, there's, there's multiple Greek words for love. There's an erotic love. There's a, a brotherly love. There's a, there's a family love. And then there is a divine love, agape love. The word here is agape. I need to agape love my enemies. I need to show them a divine love. I don't, I don't have to show them an erotic love, a family love, or a brotherly love. I'm supposed to show them this divine love, which means I can't love them unless God's love is working through me. There's no way I can love my enemy unless God's love is working through me. And that divine love of God, how do you measure God's love? He measured it, I'm going to show you. He measured it on a cross. John 3, 16, we know this, that he gave his one and only son. God loves us so much, he, he gave his one and only son. You know what love is? That's divine love. A divine love says, I love you so much, I give up my son for you on a cross. That's not the only place. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which we read last week. Here it is. God, look at the very end of the last sentence there. God who, what, loved me? He gave himself for me. That's what Jesus did. He loves you so much, he gives himself for you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Church, listen, we are utterly helpless when it comes to sin. We mess up all the time. 
We, we can't get it right on our own. And, and if, you know, I, I thought about this too. It's like we're, we're hideous in our sin. We're, it's like God looks at us and, and it's like we, we look gross with sin and we try to make ourselves look better, right? But in our gross appearance and inability to do things right, God says, I love you, which is amazing to me. And here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, you can't understand this. I, you, I'm sorry, you can't dwell in God's love. You can't understand God's love until you receive God's love. And that's why you hear me preach so often saying, if you want to pray this prayer, pray it. Because you need God's love in you. You need him to save you. Because you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. There's no way. And then Jesus comes along and he says, it's with this kind of love that I'm talking about. This kind of sacrificial love, this divine love. When I say love your enemies, love your enemies with a divine love. God's love is an act of his will. He gave his son. That was love. That's an act of will. It wasn't like he felt all emotional about mankind and was moved by his emotions. That's a different kind of love. A divine love says, I'm choosing to do something for you that you do not deserve. That's divine love, right? It's not the emotional side of us. I think, I look at this, I believe to like somebody and love someone are two different things. To like someone is all wrapped up in my emotions. I like it when you do this, and you know this person, they're very likable, you know, right? Okay, emotionally, there's that like, but when it comes to this love, this divine love, that's different than the liking. This is an act of the will. I don't have to like how you've treated me if they're my enemy. I don't, emotionally, I'm not feeling it for them, but with God's love, I can divinely do something for them. Those are two separate things. And I believe a lot of times as Christians, we sit there and say, love God, love others. So I've got to have this incredibly emotional, good feeling about everybody I meet. I don't think so. I don't think that's possible. Not on this side of eternity. On this side of eternity, my emotions, sometimes they are what they are. But my act of will, what I choose to do, can be divine through God's power. And through divine God's power, he can maybe change my emotions over here which is an amazing thing. Jesus wraps up this section of the Sermon on the Mount by saying this, but you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And it's like, oh, come on. I mean, like, you for the last, you know, wherever we started in verse whatever, right? 17 around there, okay? For the last hour or so, you've been telling them that you've got to do this and this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. The religious leaders gave us these rules. You up the ante and said, now I've got to go to the heart. And then, so I'm thinking, okay, we go back to verse 20. What did he say in verse 20? He said, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious laws and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. They look like they're at 75% righteous. I just need to be 80% righteous. And now you just said I got to be perfect, which is 100%. I can't do it. I, I can't live up to your standards, God. Good, you finally figured it out. We can't. That's why by God's grace and mercy we're saved, not by our works. If I could live more righteous than the Pharisees and the religious leaders, if I could be perfect as my Father in heaven, I don't need him. But I need him. You need him. 
And I think that's what he's getting at here. I think we come to this point. It's like, uh, never show hate. Free from sexual sin. Purity in life. Purity in marriage. Oh, don't retaliate. Love enemies. <laughs> I can't do it. And God says, you're right. You can't. Through me, you can. Perfection's impossible. You know, I remember going to Cedar Point when I think, uh, this was probably before Clay was born. He had the other two boys. You know, we like to enjoy riding all the rides and stuff, but I like going sometimes to the games because there's one game I liked playing. It's where you throw the football through the, through the tire tube, okay? So I go up there and I give him my dollar or two, throw the football through the tube. Football through the tube. Big stuff, animal, but I can upgrade. Another dollar. Tube, upgrade. Tube, upgrade. So I, I walked away with two life-size uh, stuffed Spider-Men. Okay, because I knew my boys would like Spider-Man. So, but I was like, and when I got done, the guy at the, the, there, he's like looking at me like, you can't play this anymore. He's like, are you, are you a professional quarterback or something? I said, no, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. No, I didn't say that, but I wanted to. I said, I said, no, I've got two sons and I throw a football to them. I play catch with them. And if I don't throw the ball to the right spot, they'll probably break their nose or get hurt or something or have to chase the ball. So over the years, I've learned to throw something right to the same spot over and over. Now, here's the thing, though. Was I 100% perfect with every football I threw? No. There was a couple I hit the, the tire and didn't go through. But for the most part, I walked away pretty victorious. But I wasn't 100%. A lot of us do that in life. It's like, man, I'm Christian life. I'm walking away pretty good right now. But are you 100%? No. That's what God's trying to point out to us here. That we, we need him. Which takes us to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Look at this, verse uh, 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 23 goes on to say, For everyone has sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We're not 100%. Look, verse 24. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Verse 25, not on the screen anymore. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do at the present time. And he wraps it up by saying this, but God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. He himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in God. Sin is an offense to God. Is it offends him. It's a rebellious act. It hurts him. It hurts us. It hurts others. And it had to be dealt with, and the cross was the means, and he took care of it. So the question I pose to you this morning after hearing that long sermon on the mount, and we only got through one-third of it, but this, the first section are all these things that are trying to measure up to these religious leaders, and we just can't. So here's my question for you. Where are you today in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in him or are you still trying to live above all the rules and standards and laws because you're never going to make it? And you think, well, I'm even, I know that, but I still struggle with it. And it's like, I get that. But this morning, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, 
today would be a great day to start. Just simply confess to God, God, I've blown it. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. Forgive me. And our God is a just and holy God, and he will forgive you. He's your Savior. But he just doesn't want to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. Which means, now that he saved you, he wants to walk with you and direct you in your life. As you try to make decisions in life, it's hard to do them on your own. He says, I'll come with you and I will help you make these decisions. Loving your enemies, I get it. That is hard. Let me walk with you on this one. Because you can only show divine love to those if the love that is divine is in you. And if you're in here this morning, it's like, I've prayed that prayer. I prayed it like 20 times when I was a teenager because I kept thinking I was messing up, right? But you've prayed that prayer. You have faith in Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. But here's the thing. I want you to hear this morning, if that's you, God's not asking you to be perfect. You can't. But you can allow the one who is perfect to reside in you and show the world that he lives in you. That's what I'll encourage you with this morning. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As they're coming forward, where are you at with this? Where is your faith at? Again, uh, it's like you often encourage people to give their life to Christ. Yes, because that's what it's all about. We come here on Sunday, uh, again, not to be entertained, but to worship. And part of our worship time is to learn more about God. It's like, but I want to go deeper. That's what Bible studies are for. We've got a lot of them. Sign up for them. Get involved. On the outside here, I don't know who's going to walk in on a Sunday morning. And if you're visiting with us, I want you to hear that you are loved by the God of this universe. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And you can't have a relationship with him by trying to do all these good things because you'll never match up. But you can surrender your life to him. And for those of us who are Christians, this is your opportunity to keep growing. To ask yourself, is God shining through me? Or am I just sort of keeping everything to myself? I'm just trying to live these, these little rules here, look good. It's not about us, is it? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can come here and worship you. We can sing, we can, we can pray, and we can look into your word. But God, of, of, of all these things, God, I just ask that you just, in your still quiet voice, speak to us. It's all about your son, Jesus, and what he did. What he did on the cross, and what he still wants to do through us today. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room today who's, who's always tried to do good things, thinking that will get them into heaven, thinking that will make them right with God, today I pray for that person that's in here to understand that it's not about good works. That doesn't save us. It's having faith in Jesus Christ who, who defined and, and, and measured love with a cross. A sacrifice was made so that we could have eternal life. So this morning, if we're in here and we need to confess our sins right now, God, hear our confession. Hear our prayers as we pray to you to forgive us of our sins. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you for, for those of us maybe that, that have a relationship with you. God, in, in our state of forgiveness now, help us to live for you. Be our Lord. Show us how we can Allow your divine love that resides in us to be a difference in how we treat other people. Work in our hearts when it comes to selfishness. Work in our hearts when it comes to hatred. 
Because God, we, we need your presence in our life. We need you, Jesus, to work in us so that we can live a life that honors you and brings others to you as well. Thank you, God. We just want to sing to you now. You're, you're an incredible God. We love you. In the name we pray, amen. Thank you.